The Psychedologist. Hello, thanks for tuning in and welcome back to The Psychedologist. This is Consciousness Positive Radio. In this episode, Anna Holub comes on the show to talk about edges, forgiveness, letting go, and psychedelics. Anna teaches about forgiveness, recovery from addiction, and psychedelic integration. She holds a BA in Peace Studies and an MA in Dispute Resolution from Pepperdine University School of Law. Anna was honored as a champion of forgiveness by the Worldwide Forgiveness Alliance in 2018. She is a frequent speaker on peacemaking and the use of psychedelic medicines for addiction recovery, trauma healing, and spiritual liberation. She has a private practice in Ashland, Oregon. We have a class coming up through PEER, Psychedelic Interpersonal Harm Reduction, a collaborative with trauma-informed salons, bringing uh, psychedelic harm reduction to interpersonal dynamics in the psychedelic community. So through PEER, we are offering a class called Forgiveness, an Essential Practice for Psychedelic Integration, sorry, Psychedelic Navigation. And this is going to be taught by Anna on May 18th, 2022, from 8.30 to 10 p.m. Eastern Time, 5.30 to 7 p.m. Pacific Time. In this workshop, students will learn how to let go of traumatic memories from a respected expert on forgiveness and peacemaking. Anna will teach her simple and profound method that unites emotional healing with spiritual awakening. It's the perfect way to connect with yourself before diving into a medicine journey, and it's a skill you can practice to enhance your navigation of psychedelic states. No prior experience is required. It is a spiritual and non-religious workshop, and everyone is welcome in the world of forgiveness. I have a link in the show notes for you to purchase tickets. If you have financial hardship or would like to request a scholarship ticket, there's an email that you can write to and we'll give you the uh, discount code. Thanks for tuning in, and I hope you really enjoy this conversation with Anna. Hey, Anna, welcome to The Psychedologist. Great to have you. Thank you, Leah. It's good to be here. So I'd love to hear about your relationship to consciousness as a child or as a younger one. What was that like? You know, my earliest memories are very strong around the age of eight. And I think I was probably developmentally ready to question my world or explore my world a little bit more. And the first memory that I have is going to bed at night and just lying there, <clears throat> deciding that I wanted to know where the edges were. And so I would go out to the edge of my mind, and then I would realize, no, 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 that's not the edge. And I would go further out, out, out. I go, no, no, that's not the edge either. And I realized that there was no edge. And I got into some pretty expanded states of consciousness by doing that. Later on, yeah, later on, I um, wrote a book of poems, and I named the book of poems, The Edges Are Friendly. And that in itself is a really great meditation, which I remind myself to do whenever I need it. The edges are friendly. And it comes from that time when I was eight years old and I was exploring in my own heart and mind, where is the edge? And realizing, oh, if I feel like the edges are friendly, then I can keep going, 
keep going, keep going. And of course, the it's good to turn around and go in, in, in as well. Um, and we end up coming to the same sacred place. Mm, this is evoking all kinds of images in my mind. Great. Like, thinking of edges and inward, it's like I almost see an infinity symbol mm. there. Yeah, well, it could even be that that's where the infinity symbol comes from, is people meditating upon this, going out into the infinite universe. But yet when we come back inside to ourselves, it's infinite inside as well. So either way, we get to this um, limitless place. And so in the beginning of my uh, book of poetry, the, at the very beginning, it says, okay, I realize that I just called this book edges are friendly, but there are no edges. But this is the whole exploration of like, where do I begin in my world? Like, where do I stop? And the world begins. Where does the world enter me? And though that interplay, and, and you're right, that's an infinity symbol right there. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Well, and that's what I was thinking before. And then you you beat me to it and said there really are no edges. Like that is very psychedelic in and of itself, right? Because on one level there are edges. You know, in this physical plane, we have a body. My body ends. You know where where it does, and the table begins, and the air begins, and you're sitting wherever you are, and and that's a reality. But it's not the only reality. And that's one of the things we learn through deep meditation, through self-exploration, like I did when I was eight years old. And I think a lot of us as children, we have these moments, these flashes of insight. And then, of course, psychedelics really help us as well when used with respect and correctly. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I've been thinking, I sort of always seem to think about this, but uh, lately I've been thinking about boundaries a lot. And, you know, as a person who my my response to stress is like submit, collapse, endure, um, it, interpersonal stress, I guess, because other sorts of stress, I, I would like rise up, I get filled with strength and I can power through. But interpersonally, I'll kind of just collapse when... I don't know, something's happening that I don't like. And I forget that I have this, I have the voice to say, oh, you know, this conversation isn't working for me right now. I want to return to it when I'm more regulated or, you know, this friendship is not working for me right now. And, you know, I wish you well. It's so hard for me to make those boundaries because I think in a, it, it could be, hmm, I'm curious what you think of this. Um, it's a place where I need to see edges uh, edges are friendly in that way too. So I can remember like I'm at the edge of myself and I want to come back into myself more. Yeah. Right. And so we can claim the space within and around us and say, this is mine. This is what I'm responsible for is, is this orb of light around me and all within me. And so if someone else is either impacting us in a way that we don't want or um yeah usually that's what it is it's like coming into our space without permission or with an energy that we don't really want to entertain then we certainly have the right to say yeah this is mine this is my beauty space right here 
and stay in your own lane, Jack, you know, so, or Jane, whoever it might be. Um, but to do that well is an art form in itself. And I did learn a skill that if you want, I can throw right out here right now, um, which is super helpful to me. Um, and I learned this from my, one of my main mentors, Colin Tipping, who is the man who wrote Radical Forgiveness. I studied with him for quite a while and was inspired by him. And uh, I don't know where he learned it from, but it, it's really simple. And it's just to use the imagery of a rose. So we're not putting up a wall. We don't need to have a big old shield. And yet the rose is powerful. The rose is also a symbol of the divine feminine. So the rose is, is lovely and potent and smells good and has thorns. So in a sense, she says, here I am in my beautiful space and I get to choose if you come in close or not. And so the way to use this is to imagine a rose either between yourself and the other person. You can just hang it in the air in your mind's eye or, and you can make it whatever color you want. You can kind of play with colors and hang a rose and just know that from from the rose, like if you hang it in between, just equidistant, then from the rose to yourself, that's your space. From the rose to that other person, that's their space. They can do whatever they need to do as long as they stay in their space, right? And it's something that we do on the inside in our mind or our heart so that we can relax. And so that's how he taught it. I expanded it actually because I thought, well, what if I need or would would love roses all around me mm. like little ones all around me that would feel nice or then I experimented with I could hang roses in the corners of the room if I want or my favorite is to be sitting in the middle of a giant rose and the petals are immense like they go way above the ceiling and that's my space and I get to just relax inside my rose and that helps me to be conscious about what I say instead of just blurting out something, which I'm really good at doing. Like just blurting out something and then going, ah, damn it, I just said that. And I wish I hadn't because then I just escalated something. So instead, if, if we have a place to relax, like, oh, I'm inside my rose. I know what color of rose I love. I just hang here and I can breathe and I can let that person vent or do whatever they need to do. And then when it's my turn to speak, I'm cool because I'm, I'm in my beauty space. I love that. I think the, I think nestling myself in a huge rose is the one for me. That one was resonating a lot. And I have a rose candle going, ironically. So the smell is wafting and it reminds me of the heart, leading with the heart. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And sometimes, you know, if the person's not going to be quiet and goes on and on we might have to bust through that and say all right thank you it's my turn to talk now but we'll do it better if we're relaxed inside the rose first right right <laughs> and so this all feels so related to forgiveness and i know that that's what we're here to talk about today so maybe that's a segue into 
Yeah. And the, the edges as well. Edges and forgiveness seem kind of intertwined. So love to hear whatever you'd like to share about that in this moment. Sure. Well, the forgiveness that I am passionate about, that I teach, I write about it. I have been doing this for quite a while. It's an expanded version of healing. And so really the healing is the linkage, right? The communion with our source, which is where all healing comes from, no matter what we call it. So my way is very universal and it's open to everyone, no matter what your background is. Um, and this form of forgiveness is not the traditional model, but I, I did learn it from several places, Colin Tipping being my teacher. And also I'm a student of A Course in Miracles. So I read that and I'm also um, a mediator and I have a master's degree in dispute resolution so and peace education. So you know, I've really thought about what is it going to take for us to be peaceful in this world? What's it going to take for me personally to be peaceful? How can I share whatever I learn? So I became a peace activist within, and, and this is the tool that I use the most, which is teaching people how to let go of grievances and resentment. So I'm not a therapist. I come to this work from peace education, and that's my background, but also from my own personal exploration of like, okay, here's my story of my life and where am I not feeling relaxed inside of myself? Where am I not connected to my intuition? And so I found that those places where we're not at peace are the places that need to be forgiven in this expanded way. A lot of people listen to me and they're like, oh, no, no, that's not really what I need. I'm just angry. I'm like, yeah, okay. So it's all interconnected. So if you're feeling a lot of anger, anger never lives by itself. There's always other things underneath anger. Anger is known as a secondary emotion. So if we go underneath that, we're going to find places where either we have not let go of a grievance or resentment against someone else or something that happened or an idea even um, or ourselves could be lodged in our awareness from from way back in time. A lot of this is connected to our childhood traumas and the ways in which we've decided to navigate the world because of the trauma that we've experienced. And each person, of course, is different. But most people, by the time they become uh, late teens to early 20s and beyond, they have something, if not several, things that kind of got stuck. And if we don't learn how to unwind those things and come into peace, then we will not be free and we will not be happy. Yeah. It's making me think of um, this conflict skills class that I've been taking, taught by Kai Cheng Tom. And she, you know, I right away I think of conflict with other people. But she started us thinking about conflict within ourselves and how we don't necessarily get taught to um, taught that we can feel different ways, that we can feel divided. And, you know, in, in one sense, right, like 
I do want something to happen, but in at another way, I don't want it to happen and th- that we can build our capacity for that, um, you know, kind of, I don't know, that conflict, inner conflict. And so I think it's when you mentioned peace in ourselves, like I was thinking, oh yeah, peace, peace between people, but it really does originate in the self. Like, can there be, can there be peace between two people if each of them doesn't have some peace within themselves? Good question. To me, it's a matter of degree. Mm. And how deep do we want to take that question? Because I feel like we can have momentary experiences of, oh, yeah, I feel good now. I feel at peace. I feel at peace with that person. The deeper way to go with this, and which is the reason why this kind of forgiveness is not the traditional model, is we can go much deeper than, yep, okay, I forgave that person. It's over, la, 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 and I'll, I'll keep trucking along. That's cool. It's just that the themes that we're working with as souls will show up in different kinds of conflict situations or challenging situations. So when there's that tension that you were mentioning, it can be a conflict, it can feel like a paradox, and we need to understand and and stretch ourselves into being more vast so that we can hold more than just a yes or no answer. Um, And this is part of why also I got into addiction and addiction recovery, and I'm an addiction recovery coach. And I use this forgiveness method with my clients, whether they come for addiction recovery or not. But it's really a lot about being able to be more vast within our own heart and mind so that we don't then just um, kind of regress to black and white thinking. Black and white thinking is, is very much how um, people who are in an addictive situation in their minds or in their lives, they'll go, it's either this or that. And actually, there's a whole rainbow of possibility in between. People say gray in between black and white. And I'm like, no, 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 it's a rainbow. <laughs> Yeah. So how how creative can we get with these different ways of seeing who we are and how we are? So learning to really deeply let go of the roots of the conflict are the themes that we bring in as souls. So I, when I work with people, I I work with them on two levels at the same time. One level is, hey, you're a human being. And for, like, for instance, if it was me, I'm a human being. I'm showing up as a female right now. Um, I am an, uh, an American citizen. Here's my background. These are the things I love. These are the things I'm afraid of, et cetera. That's my human, right? And so I'm deeply fascinated with that and caring about that part. But in addition to that, there's more to us than that. And there's the eternal adventurer who has come here very temporarily and shown up as Leah and Anna and whatever the listener's name may be. So knowing that, then why are we here? And what is it that we came to learn? And when we think in terms of that, then we, then we can see, oh, there are certain themes that show up again and again. And that's when we start looking at, oh, there's a pattern in my life. How come I always have trouble 
um, with my home space, for instance. I have somebody close to me who's just like constantly, it's a problem with her home situation. Other people won't have that. They'll have a great home situation, but at work, the boss is constantly a problem. Other people will be like, yeah, my work's good, my home's good, but my health, my physical health, oh my gosh. So all of us have these places that are like our most tender, poignant places of um, not knowing what to do, feeling some confusion, feeling some pain around it. And those places are the soul themes. They, they have treasures in them. And when we learn how to unlayer the suffering and keep the lessons, then we open up our channel. And that's the forgiveness that I'm talking about. What you said there really speaks to the next question I was going to ask, which was, yeah, like, what do you say to people who you know, I don't want to forgive because I never want that to happen again. Or like, you know, like sort of forgiveness equals forgetting or something. Or, I mean, yeah. Is that clear? Like that, that yes. question? I'm sure you've gotten that before. Oh, yeah. In fact, um, I wrote a book. Uh, it's called Forgive and Be Free. And it's available on Audible. And it's also available through my website if, if anyone's curious about it. But I basically start the book about forgiveness with that because there are a lot of um, points of resistance that our mind, our intellect, or our ego mind can have with forgiveness because when we let go on such a deep soul level, we're unwinding our ego. That's what's happening. We're saying yes to spirit and yes to deep inner healing. And that means our ego has to take a backseat instead of being the driver. So that means also there's going to be resistance to the entire idea. And part of, part of the way it works is, oh, I don't, I don't want to do that. I can't let down my, my, my defense field because then I'll be vulnerable and weak and open for that person or somebody else to do the same damn thing to me all over again. And I'm just not up for that. I'm not going to do it. So, understandably so. That's not what I'm suggesting. It's just that keeping that shield in front of us or all around us, really, we're the ones that's, that are, have to like pick it up and move it every place we go. And that's exhausting. So, there is another way. There's, so, here's the black and white thinking. I either keep the shield or I'm weak and defenseless. Right. And I don't have any choices, so therefore I got to keep the shield. However, what if there's a third option? The third option is I want to keep my strength. I also want to keep my inner connection, which is the most powerful thing there is. So I need to melt away and consciously and voluntarily let go of the shield in order to have a different kind of safety. We all want this deep safety that comes from being in union with our true self, whatever we choose to call that. And the more we're logging around, it, it's just exhausting. And people know what I'm talking about. It, it's, uh, it, it shows up in a lot of different ways, addiction being one of them, or subtle addictions in our own mind. 
as well. So in order to be in recovery, we have to be willing to let go of these very precious ideas. We've made them precious. And so what if, what if we could live without them and be more free? That's the question. And then, okay, if that's a possibility, then how do I get to the more freedom part? Okay, well, great. Then if you want more freedom and you're clear about it, then you need to lay down some of these burdens that you're carrying. And the burden might be the shield. Probably is, actually. So how do we do that safely where we end up feeling more healthy and more connected rather than weak and helpless and angry? So that's the whole process that I teach of how to do this very simple letting go process so that we can be then more connected and stronger because of it. And I'm feeling that this has a lot of intersections with psychedelics, you know, both in oops, there goes the mic. Um, both in healing and in looking at things differently, um, you know, expanding our consciousness, our capacity. Um, what where do you see forgiveness and psychedelics intersecting? I think there's a, I know because I've done it myself, there's a beautiful intersection. Um, a lot of people have a rough time on psychedelics because they don't know and they haven't practiced already this letting go process. So when I work with people, I do a lot of preparation ahead of time so that the person has a sense of what does this feel like in my own body my emotions, my mind, my connection to spirit. And I don't need to ingest anything. There's nothing outside of myself that I need to get to this place of peace. So once we know that, and then we're also in a psychedelic expanded state of consciousness, and perhaps some material will come up from our subconscious mind or past uh, memory that is calling out to be healed, then we can say, oh, I can handle this. I'm going to let it through. I'm going to relax. I'm going to surrender this. I'm going to offer it to the Holy One, to the, the oneness that gives me life. I'm going to make an offering. And when you know how to do that, then the entire psychedelic experience gets a lot more smooth and fascinating. We still get to learn all the lessons, but there's no looping in some kind of horrible corner that we don't know how to get out of because we've already practiced. How do I get out of, how do I lay down? How do I melt these things that um, are painful? One, by not running away from them. And also, I always start with prayer. I set a, a sacred space. So not everybody loves prayer, and I know that. You can use intention instead. But it's good to have a way that you enter into your healing field, be it with psychedelics or not, so that um, we can know that we have support and help. Right. You know, I, 
this is making me think of a conversation I recently had with someone who had taken some mushrooms and the volume just got cranked up on their inner critic um, to the point that it was like shouting at them these horrible things. And uh, and it was a rough ride and they they really didn't know what to make of it and couldn't see any benefit that came from it. You know, it was just kind of harrowing. So I'm curious what, you know, if that person were to go in again, um, you know, what would you say to them? First, I would say, let's integrate that last one before you go again to ask the mushrooms for any more teachings. Let's sit with what happened and see where are the treasures, even though it was scary, even though it felt awful. What do you need to know about yourself? What was shown? And then live with that for a while before going back to any medicine journeys. That's the first thing I would say. I'm a really big fan of integrating our journeys and um, giving them time to settle into our, our mind, our bones, you know, the way we move in the world, how we think about ourselves in the world. So um, that's the first thing. But then to answer your question, all right, well, so what do you do next? Or if you're going to go back into a, a medicine space, um, first of all, I've been doing psychedelic medicine for a really long time. Um, and I know that each journey is so different. So I would not expect that it's going to happen again. If you're expecting it's going to happen again, then sure enough, it might. But when that person has skills to be able to breathe through it, deepen their sense of what's actually happening, ask for some inner support. Perhaps there's somebody there, hopefully somebody there with them that can remind them and give support, maybe some very gentle touch on their feet or on their head. Um, touch is beautiful, but it has to be very, very pure and helpful and compassionate. Otherwise, it should not be used at all. And so, but if that person could feel like they, they have help um, and they have some skills, then even if it comes up again, there'll be this trust, or even confidence, that they can get through it. And they'll get some more teachings. And isn't that fascinating? And okay, let's move on and to the next thing that the mushrooms have to show us. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, I would say, having been there myself also, like, oh my gosh, this is my mind. This is my critic. Damn. I would say, great, now you know. Now you know. Now you've heard it loud and clear. Not only what's in your ego mind, but what's in everybody's ego mind just going off. But sometimes it's very subtle. Sometimes it's like underneath the surface in this irritating way. Um, so learning to acknowledge that voice and know that it's not the only voice that's possible and then getting the skill or the, the inner muscle to be able to switch channels, yeah. uh, because we choose to, um, that's, that's a practice and having this forgiveness, deep letting go, understanding within us helps us to change channels, say, Okay, thanks. I, I can hear that voice. It's going on and on and on. And it's not only mine. It's just like a planetary thing going on. And I don't 
really want to hear that because I already know it. I ask my clients sometimes, do you have a PhD in that? (laughs) In other words, do you need a postdoc? I mean, is there anything else you need to learn about that kind of critical chatter in your head? Or have you had hours of it, lifetimes possibly of it? Are you ready to lay it down? It's a burden. With love and compassion for yourself and everyone, knowing it's, it's not something horribly wrong with you. It's, it's like a radio channel and it just goes on and on and you can learn from it, actually. Right. Right. Yeah. And from an internal family systems framework, like that part that says that, it's like maybe it just needs a promotion to a better job because at, at some point it thought, I need to do this job of telling you you're bad because if I tell you you're bad, you won't be bad and then other people won't punish you or something, right? It's like the voice came from somewhere. Maybe it's an internalized voice of a teacher or a parent. And just to see that it for what it is and liberate it on to doing another job, you know, maybe one that's more current to the system as it is now. Yeah. And more healthy, right? (laughs) What you're saying reminds me also that the voices that we hear, the messages that we take on come from a lot of different places. They come from our media, our, our enculturation as, you know, for gender reasons and, and socioeconomic backgrounds. There's just like so many levels of who we think we are. We have, we form an identity in all these different ways, which, you know, we can soften around like, am I really that or am I actually something much more magnificent and eternal than all of these things that I've been offered since day one when I got here. In addition to that, we have our ancestral lineage and all of the momentum of our past generations um, telling us messages that, yes, maybe originally they were good, um, they had goodness to them, but if they're told in fear, then a lot of times what we keep is the fear. I have an example of that if you want to hear it. And that is that when I was a little girl, I was close to one grandparent, my grandmother, and um, she used to say, oh, well, always wear your pajamas when you go to bed because you never know when there might be a fire. And I was like, oh, okay. And I, I live with my family in the suburbs in one of those tract homes, you know, and I was on the second floor. And I would look down and think, how am I going to get out if there's a fire? And I would decide what I was going to take with me. And I was going to jump out the window and I was only going to take my pillow. And I had this whole thing. I was like five years old or six years old. So in me, that engendered a lot of fear. And it took me a while to grow out of that and realize, oh, probably there won't be a fire. There hasn't been a fire in this neighborhood. Mm, Probably not. You know, but it took me years of development to be able to to uh, try those other ideas on. So when I was little, I just took in my grandma and she loved me, right? She was trying to be helpful. So fast forward many, many years, I'm an adult. I'm in New York City and I go with my children to this amazing museum. And 
on the wall, there's a big poster for one of the exhibits, and it's all about tenement fires Mm. in the Lower East Side. Mm -hmm. And this is a lot where some of our labor unions came out of because there were horrible fires where people were packed in um, doing, doing difficult labor. And so my ancestry comes from that. I think maybe my grandmother as a child may have witnessed one of those fires. So here it is through the generations, she's trying to protect her grandchildren. Maybe she even had to run out in the street and didn't have enough clothing on. And maybe she, you know, who knows what happened. But all of a sudden, I'm an adult. I look at that poster and the tenement is on fire. And I went, ah, that's my grandmother. She's in the street. And I had this flash. And then I had this deep understanding of how these thoughts go through generations in a way that just offers us fear instead of reality, you know? Mm-hmm. And then we, we have to unwind those and realize, okay, that's a burden I'm carrying. I don't have to carry it. I'm going to forgive it. I'm going to lay it down. I'm going to let it. I'm going to breathe out of my entire system. And then I'm going to receive healing and support so I can still love my grandma and I can appreciate her even more. And she can contact me even better from the other side as an ally, as, a, as part of my as an ancestor, right? But I'm letting go of the fear. Wow. What an alchemy. Right. It's so cool. (laughs) Right, yeah. And liberating through the generations. Yes. And And the more we liberate our own mind in that way, the more we liberate all the ancestors behind us and our children and their children, because what we're doing is we're taking off a burden from the family line. We're saying, I'm going to be the one to unwind this one. I'm willing. And now I know how. So yeah, I'm going to do it, not only on behalf of myself, but on behalf of my family and on behalf of all beings. So in the few moments that we have left, is there anything, any taste you'd like to give us of, for this upcoming class, forgiveness, an essential practice for psychedelic navigation? Right. So what you're mentioning is the class we're going to do together. I'm going to offer it on May 18th, 2022. And I'm excited to offer more about exactly how to do this. Right now, I don't have time to lead people through an actual experience, but it means a lot when you can take something in your life as an example, and I will walk you through this very gentle, compassionate way of first being in prayer together and or intention, if that works better for you, examining what is it without running away from it, just being with it. What is it? What do we feel about it? How far back does it go? You know, all those things to just really explore what it is and then to make the conscious voluntary choice to give it as an offering to the oneness that gives us life. And I will walk you through that. And once you do that, you make room 
Make room within your own self, within your own um, channel of life. Each one of us is a channel of life. Sometimes I call it our tube of light that we are. We walk around as tubes of light. So we, every time we let go of something like that, then our channel is clearer and we can receive more int- intuition, more healing, more ability to bless this world. So we're going to explore all of that during the class. Sounds great. I wish it was tomorrow. I wish it was yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, it's coming up pretty soon. And if people want it to be tomorrow or they want to work with me individually, then please check out my website, get a hold of me. I offer a free consultation for new, new clients. So you can call me. We can talk for about 15 minutes or so um, about what you need and what you want and how I can help. Thank you. Yeah. So my website is my name on Beautiful. And I'll put that in the show notes so people can easily click. Yeah, thank, you. Uh, thank you for all this wisdom, Anna. And I'm curious if you have a consciousness hack to impart to us in closing. Yeah. So what goes along with all of this talk and experience of forgiveness is something that I'm working with right now. And I have been for a while, and it, it may be the rest of my life that I work with this one. And it's gentleness. Mm. Gentle, gentle. How can I be more gentle with myself? That's unwinding the critic mind. This critical mind is, is just can be very, very active. So let's apply gentleness to our own thoughts about ourselves and who we are in the world. Because the more I think about it and the more I tune into the whole planet as a whole, what's the antidote? for all of the tension and the wars and the despair that's going on here. And something that each one of us can do is to expand our willingness and our direct experience of gentleness. That really resonates. Thank you. Sure. The Psychologist is Consciousness Positive Radio. Find us everywhere podcasts are hosted. For more information, visit us on Facebook or online at thepsychologist.com.